Welcome to Reliability Matters, a podcast for the electronic assembly industry. Each episode covers topics related to reliability, best practices, and environmentally responsible assembly techniques with insights from experts across the electronic assembly industry. Now, here's your host, Mike Conrad. Well, welcome back to a very different type of Reliability Matters episode. I'm not in my normal studio. I am in San Diego, California at the IPC Apex Expo. My guest uh, right now is uh, Marco Sanchez. Uh, he's with SMT North America. And we're going to talk about reflow and uh, specifically controlling a reflow oven. But before we do that, Marco, welcome to the show. Um, tell me a little bit about SMT. Uh, what does SMT, <laughs> what doesn't SMT produce? But what, what, what types of products uh, is your company known for? And, uh, and then we'll get into a little bit more specific. Uh, well, uh, our company is uh, a German brand. Uh, we produce some reflow systems, and, uh, and also we have some reflow system with a vacuum chamber. Uh, additional to this, we have some uh, thermal systems, as uh, cube and other system for curing process for uh, conformal curing, epoxics, and, and other kind of products. Very good. Uh, and you're exhibiting here at the show, uh, I would assume, right? Yeah, yeah. And lots of equipment? Well, actually, we don't have equipment, but we have the presence, ah, and we okay. are still ready to, to share information about those Excellent. Systems. There are several booths here that um, did not bring equipment. I think, I think the jury was still out about how many people would come to the show and how much equipment to bring and that fine balance, because yeah. it's not cheap to bring equipment to a, to a show. Um, but... Um, uh, the show's been, the show's been good. Yeah, yeah, super. Yeah, we Excellent. have some customers, and that is Excellent. Good. I guess to really answer that, I'd have to ask you that question in six months, right? Because <laughs> yeah, it takes exactly. a little time. Um, exactly. Let's talk about profiling. Uh, traditionally, one would have an oven, and one might buy a thermal profiler made by a number of companies, which will basically either measure the board or measure points in the oven. It'll tell them what temperature um, the the oven is at or the board is at in a particular part of the board or a particular part of the oven. And that information is kind of statistical information, right? Um, your company and your ovens do something a little bit more comprehensive than that. Why don't you explain uh, to me and my audience uh, what uh, SMT's um, contribution to that that um, control and and monitoring uh, thermal wise uh, yep. brings well this is a really good uh, this is a good approach that we have uh, we have a, a solution for, for customers uh, we call it monitoring the monitoring system is is quite interesting because usually we consider uh, three uh, sorry two parameters uh, for, for a profiling process uh, one of these is uh, the heating setting and the actual temperature uh, exactly and exactly and the second one is a conveyor speed mm -hmm. but also it's important for us to consider the fan speed as well and we are working on these three parameters from the beginning so we try or we do this and then we're still checking all the time Mm -hmm. these three parameters in order to keep the high quality of the products. Huh? So you're checking temperature, you're checking conveyor speed, and you're checking fan speed. Exactly. And temperature, I understand. That's obvious. Conveyor speed, I understand, because it doesn't matter what the temperature is. If you're flying through at 1,000 feet a minute, the board's not even going to get warm. Um, yeah, but fan speed, 
obviously is the, the rate in which air is being evacuated from the from the tunnel. Is that yeah. correct? And if you have too slow a fan speed, you're going to generate more heat. If you have too high a fan speed, you're going to generate less heat. Is that a fair yeah. assumption? Yeah. But also, it's important to say that the, our, our system, we can monitor it. I mean, we can control it through, uh, in the case of fan speed, with a frequency converter. In the case of the motors, we can measure the currency of the motors of the uh, transport speed. Uh, in the case of the heaters, we can control it and still monitor it through so via software. So we can uh, observe uh, these parameters in order to guarantee the, the control of the process the profiling process uh, and then if something is wrong the system will send alarm to the to, to, to the to the maintenance team of the production team in order to identify that something is wrong uh, and with that we can uh, keep or uh, the, the high quality of the product so what happens when hypothetically your conveyor speed is perfect your temperature is perfect but your motors are drawing more current than you expected which would yeah. I guess one would insinuate from that that you're going too fast. Your conveyor's going too fast. Uh, well, or if something's wrong with the motors. Um, what happens in that situation? Our system is still monitoring the currency and still bringing this adjustment to the motors in order to keep the constant uh, let's say currency that they need. So in order to avoid any, if, if any it risk. notices it's, going, it's drawing too much current, will it then try and reduce the current to the motor? Yeah, just, so it's not just an alarm. Yeah, they it, suggest, it actually is control. Yeah. Okay, exactly. so there's a feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you controlling. And, and monitoring. So if, um, does it compare, if the operator, say you're running uh, a foot a minute, just for the sake of numbers, running one foot per minute, and the operator turns it up to eight feet per minute, will it then allow it to run eight feet per minute or does it somehow know that the operator is trying to trying to get out early so we can go on a date on a friday night uh or will it will it compare what it's just been told to do with what the actual readings are and think that that's what you if that's what he wants that's what he's going to get but at the end of the day if you perform some change in the system uh, the system will respect the change that you, you respect perform. the change. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Somebody just come and adjust the setting. Uh, the, the system will adjust the system, and it'll yeah. see. It'll yeah. say, okay, if that's what you want, I'll make yeah. sure you're going to get yeah, that. Exactly. At the end of the day, uh, most of this kind of uh, let's say setting is controlled by the engineer department, so they right. can keep a control of that. Yeah, and also we can bring this solution a different level of access of the people. Huh? Right. So an operator can theoretically scan a barcode. It knows what profile to pull up. Yeah. And that automatically loads. The operator can't. Yeah. That is also it. also a solution that we already have. Yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah, sometimes keeping operators away from buttons is a good idea, right? Yeah. If they're like me, I'm I was when I was a kid, I would push every button. My dad <laughs> exactly. would always yell at me, look with your eyes, not with your hands. Because yeah, I, exactly. I would always push buttons yes. if there was a button to push. So um, Yeah, and most of the time uh, the people see trying to do some change, but this is uh, part of our challenge to bring the let's say the control yeah, and the constant monitoring to the people, uh, the people that are still in church, in this case, the engineering department, production leaders, and so on, uh, just to keep the control. The things, and then, with this kind of solution, bring, uh, let's say, the, uh, the, con the control to the people, and also the high quality to the co final customer. Uh, if, if there's a situation in your monitoring system that uh, it can't fix, say, uh, pulling too much current on the motors and, and, and 
and you send a signal to lower it, it's just not lowering it. Does it? Does that create an alarm condition? Does that notify somebody? Yeah. yeah. And who appear, does it notify? They, they appear the signal in the in the in the monitor. Yeah. Appearance. You know, our system is also a connection for the industry 4.0. So also we can bring this kind of connection to the team. Huh? Do you do that through CFX or some other standard? Do you know the the 4.0? Uh, no, so uh, uh, no, no. Uh, I I know that we have some kind of this uh, connection, yeah. but it is dependent on the company. Right. Yeah. So that goes into a a larger information system and yeah. and keeps the stats and things like yes. that. Internal internal information, yeah, mm-hmm. for the internet and so on for the companies. Um, a few months ago, we published a paper. You know, I'm in the cleaning business myself, and um, so we always look at contamination. How much contamination is on a board? Because too much contamination is bad for a board. Uh, and uh, we were able to correlate reflow, peak reflow temperature to contamination. Um, so we, we, we took a, a series of, of SIR test boards and uh, ran them at proper, quote-unquote, proper reflow temperatures, and, that, uh, and then ran contamination studies on them and, and determined that at proper reflow temperatures, uh, the amount of contamination was acceptable. Then we ran uh, that profile at 5% lower. 5%. Okay. Not a huge amount. Okay. From a solderability standpoint, from an intermetallic bond standpoint, perfect shots. You know, okay. Things weren't going to fall off. Um, visually, they look good. But from a contamination standpoint, we went from very high um, levels of cleanliness to very low levels of cleanliness, high levels of contamination, by just allowing the peak reflow temperature to drift Five percent. Okay. So that, in addition to the quality of the solder joint and other things, uh, that's just one more reason to ensure that your profile and that your oven is producing boards thermally accurate. Yes. Um, Because people will set up a qualified manufacturing process based on perfect parameters, and then the moment they set up the perfect parameters and say, "Okay, this is it. Lock it in. This is what we're going to run." Within five minutes, something changes, right? There's all these external variables and internal variables. Um, so it, that really uh, taught me a lesson on how important it is not just to set up the right profile, but to maintain the right profile. Exactly. And to be warned, well, I, ideally, to never have the profile change. But if it does change, to have the oven have the ability to fix it. And if it doesn't have the ability to fix it, to let somebody know, right? That exactly. that seems to be, uh, you know, That's one of the key steps to reliability. Yeah, exactly. And this is really interesting because most of the Hold time, this up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. As as you know, uh, these variables see changing now because there exists another variables, uh, mechanical stuff, and so on. So this is quite important for us that bring this solution that the customers can monitoring these critical points in order to keep this quality and this setting uh, and then bring to the product the quality that the customer is still uh, looking for. Uh, so this is really, really important for us also to bring this solution to the people uh, or customer for sure and then they can have this product with a high quality. Then most of the time that the, the, the system is still working well, that the system is still producing, that is important thing, uh, and then continues with the work. Uh, and then they can observe that his quality is really good and his system is still available for continuous working. Right. 
Well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Marco uh, Sanchez from SMT North America, thanks so much for sharing that technology uh, with me and, and my, my audience. And uh, it's fascinating. And uh, keep up that good work. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be All with right. you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My guest right now is Colin Harper. He's with BPM. And, uh, well, first of all, welcome, Colin. Thank you, Mike. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for sitting in the hot seat. Sure. Not so hot yet. Not so hot yet, but certainly comfortable. It is. Better than standing on a trade show floor, right? Absolutely. In a, in a booth. Um, first of all, how's the show? It's been a good show. You know, the traffic, I think everybody would admit, is down sure. from years past. But uh, it's great to be here and love to reconnect with customers and associates. So uh, really, really happy to be here. Yeah, it's nice to, as I've said many times, it's nice, nice to see people, not pixels, right? Absolutely. People in three dimensions. Uh, it, it's a, great to have conversations in, in real time rather than looking through a teleprompter. Um, your company makes programming equipment. We and do. It's for, 30, 37 years. I'll say it's for my audience's benefit, but it's really for my benefit. Tell me what that means. Put that in a, you know, kindergarten terms for me. Um, obviously, devices need to be programmed. What types of devices and and what specifically types of things are you loading into these devices? Well, we're putting digital data into microcontrollers, EEPROMs, FPGAs, UFS devices, kind of the whole gambit of semiconductors that need to have pre-programmed content. We support that on our platforms. So many years ago, when our company was very young, we had a EEPROM. Right. Electrically erase or erasable you know, with a glass window on it and put it under a UV light. And right. You, you erase all the history. and You got it. And we had that little programmer, which was just a socket with a little lever to tighten down the, the pins. And uh, we'd load some software into it and pull it out and do it again and you know cover the cover the window so it wouldn't erase itself but obviously yours are more automated for ours was one dip at a time yours is uh, obviously much more automated than that right uh, we do we we still sell a lot of manual programmers to engineering firms and uh, first article development and that type of thing and then on the high end we have fully automated systems that uh, you know support the same devices frankly our, our technology is universal so the way our product works if you program the device on a manual programmer you know you're going to get the same results on the automated platform as well yeah excellent so i I read a press release recently that your company is on its 10th generation program yeah we we were pleased to announce the uh, bpm 310 at uh, productronica just this last november and showing the machine here as well so when I ever, whenever I see you know new and improved or right. next gen, I always my mind goes to what's better from the ten to the nine, and what did the nine improve over the eight? And so, what is the in your world of programming equipment? What constitutes a generational change? What do the machines do today that maybe they didn't do a couple of years ago, and they didn't do thirty years ago? What right. what constitutes? evolution in your industry? Well, in, in our case, it represents, uh, you know, of course, universal evolution. We Our 10th generation supports UFS programming as well, whereas the 9th generation did not. Now, UFS was a disruptive technology a few years ago, and so 10th generation not only supports UFS, it also brings the legacy technology and all those other things with it. And then the other big thing is the industry wants value, as, as you know from all the folks here. And so we are are doubling the socket density per 
programming site. So we have a, a small footprint machine, our BPM 310, that can program up to 48 devices concurrently, whereas that used to be reserved to our larger flagship platform. That And we have so much confidence in the BPM 310 that we decided to discontinue the 4000 series machine. So it really speaks volume to the capability of that platform. And, uh, you know, certainly the marketers responded favorably because, you know, the value proposition is pretty obvious. Right. And do these, how automated is your technology? Do, do the devices, are they hand loaded, you know, 48 devices and then your machine does the programming? Is it, is it auto loaded and auto ejected, so to speak? Or? Yeah, good, good question. So uh, programmable devices like other semiconductors can be bought in uh, tape. They can be bought in JDEC tray and in mm-hmm. tubes. So we handle all three types of media and any combination thereof. So if you want to buy JDEC trays or parts in JDEC trays and then output to tape and reel, then our machine can do that. And, of course, these are optional things. Sure. Um, some customers say a small OEM, maybe they'll only buy parts in JDEC tray. And uh, so they don't need the taping module. So our machines are very configurable, and you can add these features in the future. So your company is actually providing the add-on technology to put these things on tape and and from Absolutely. one format to another format in terms of storage. Exactly. So you, you can take it. them from JEDEC trays and put them on tape and reel. All, all part of the programming machine. I mean, optional, clearly, but all yes. part of the programming machine. And it's baked in. You know, you simply uh, buy that feature in the future if, if that's when you need it. The same thing for the uh, socket capacity. I mentioned the BPM 310 can have up to 48 sockets. Perhaps you're only programming two to 500,000 devices per year, and you only want to start with, with two programming modules or, or 16 sockets. Happy to help you there, and then as your needs grow, then you can add the additional capacity as your volume increases. How has the technology been in, uh, uh, evolving in terms of speed of programming uh, for for a given uh, data size or right, a given right. amount of volume of data to go on a chip? Um, I remember when I was programming those EEPROMs, mm-hmm. it would take about a minute maybe two minutes to download a program, which was a very small program right, by right. today's standards. Um, has that speed increased? Is that something that one model would be faster than another model, or is that just kind of an industry standard? Yeah, great question. You know, exponential speed in- improvements, no doubt. Um, you know, for uh, I can't give you any data off the top of my head from our sixth and seventh generation, but for example, UFS devices, you know, really high-speed, high-density devices, you know, we can, we can read at about 440 uh, megabytes per second and write at just over 200 megabytes per second. So a lot of, lot of data going fast. fast. Yeah. Right, right. If, if I had that speed back in my EEPROM days, I, I, I would put it in and take it out instantly. I wouldn't even see the, the got it. program speed considering it. the size of the, of the, of the chip. Um, how has IoT and automotive landed on your industry? Is that, are, are they automotive, for example, are they large consumers of programmable devices or do they buy a different type of technology where the you know in the in in the wafer process the coding is all put in i don't i don't know if that's what happens but but yeah definitely not every device is programmed right sure after the device is made some have functions as they're made is that a correct statement or is everything ultimately programmed through a device programmer? Well, I guess there are a number of methods for device programming. We specialize in offline programming in socket, but mm-hmm. certainly a large 
part of the market also programs on board. So we compete with that. The reason offline programming is really good in in many instances is because of the potential bottleneck that you have on your SMT line. And, you know, you can imagine if you're trying to program back to the UFS device where you have huge densities you're trying to program on that board, your beat rate is really important. And so to try to keep up with the beat rate and program just in time on board, you know, the the amount of resources and equipment necessary to do that would be astronomical. So we're taking a a very important but relatively, uh, well, it's a very important process, but we're we're doing it upstream so there's no bottleneck. Right, right. you could take as long as you want, as long as you start early enough in the process, exactly. you're not going to slow down the conveyor line. And one automated machine can support multiple manufacturing lines, whereas you can imagine if you're programming in line right. or in SMT, you've got to have dedicated resources for each production each line. line. Yeah, Correct. exactly. So has has auto and IoT um, positively, negatively influenced your market? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Both automotive and IoT. You know, encryption is also a really important feature for IoT devices. You want to make sure that the devices are secure and that as they're updated in the field and application that somebody is not doing something nefarious, so to speak. Right. So we have uh, BPM Encrypt is a feature that we have in our software that allows you know, custom security solutions to be developed as needed. One final question before we wrap up. Uh, I always like to ask manufacturers of equipment this question. If you were buying, if you were looking for something that your company produced and you didn't work there, what ideally would, what perfect questions would you love your customers to ask you? What questions would you ask uh, a supplier of programming equipment that will allow the supplier to respond accurately with something that will work for them. You know, sometimes customers mm-hmm. don't give you all the facts. Right. And, you know, we've all been there. We provide equipment based on the limited facts we have. And it turns out those facts weren't accurate. Sure. And maybe the machine is not the best for their, their need because we didn't know what their need was. What types of questions should your customers be asking you and any other programming equipment company? You know, I think it's mostly about the future uh, when it comes to device programming. Uh, you know, there there's... Uh, Many, many thousands of new devices coming onto the market each year to be that are to be programmed, and so I, I think the most important question is: Can you reasonably assure us that your technology will be as beneficial two years from now as it is today? And I can tell you this, and this is based on fact. You know, sixth generation. Obviously, we're at tenth today, but we have thousands of sixth generation programming sites still in operation so that's a testament to the the test of time now it cannot support for example ufs devices there are these disruptive technologies that do take place but i think it's more the future proof can you be relatively certain that what i'm buying today will take me for five ten years into the future right i've often said in fact we talked about it yesterday on the show it's not a question of how. It's not only a question of how well the equipment's built. It's a question and how reliable it is. It's a question of how relevant it is. That's right? a that's a great. You can have a can machine. I use that? Please, yeah. yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. Um, because you know we build cleaning equipment, and the machines we sold thirty years ago are some of them are still running, but right. I don't know what they're cleaning with them because things didn't look like 
the boards today 30 years ago, right? Sure. And, um, and I would assume the same in programming and pretty much every part of our industry is things change at right. a lightning speed. And, you know, you try and engineer enough relevance in there, uh, but sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Disruptive forces, like you said. Right. Um, are your machines upgradable? Or are there, like... Uh, software features that you update over over years or it, is the c- capability locked in at the time they purchase it? That's a great question. So, you know, we're a hardware company, but frankly, if you look behind the scenes at BPM, we have more software engineers and uh, folks writing code than hardware because, you know, again, you build a, a programming site technology that's built to last and it's test of time. You do that every, let's say, three to five years and then you have to continually update that that toolbox. And so that's what we do weekly. We have software updates and uh, on a weekly basis supporting the customers we have around the world. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, Colin Harper, BPM, uh, thank you so much for being my guest today. I appreciate your knowledge. I appreciate you teaching me a little bit about programming, something I wasn't counting on learning today. So uh, Mike, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. pleasure. All right. Enjoy the rest of the show. And uh, thank you, uh, my my audience, uh, for being part of the Reliability Matters podcast family. I appreciate you being here. And, uh, thank you very much. And once again, uh, if you would like to be notified of future episodes of the Reliability Matters podcast, be sure and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and virtually wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to this uh, in your car or on the treadmill or wherever you're listening to it and you uh, would like to see uh, what it actually looks like, what my guest looks like, and, and God forbid me, uh, we also have a YouTube uh, channel. Uh, just search Reliability Matters or Concept to Creation, my other podcasts on YouTube, and uh, you can watch and hear it simultaneously. So once again, thank you very much. And from San Diego, from beautiful Southern, uh, uh, sunny Southern California in San Diego at the IPC Apex Expo, thanks for joining me. I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to the Reliability Matters podcast. Join us on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for new episodes of Reliability Matters.